Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Yeah. We're glad you're here. And you just heard all of that about Easter weekend, and we love Easter weekend. Uh, just to, We love getting together as a church family and celebrating together, but really, ultimately, it comes down to the resurrection of Jesus, which is the whole reason why we're here. Come on, do you believe that? It's the resurrection of Jesus, so we're going to be celebrating that together. Uh, that Friday night, Good Friday, get together for cookout and egg hunts for all of the kids uh, as a part of our church family. And then that Sunday morning, we always uh, add a service to try to create space for those that are going to come, maybe even for the first time. And uh, we always change those service times up just to drive you a little bit crazy. Um, so you can, the, for the next few weeks, be wondering, what was that service time again? I do want to ask a favor, uh, and that's all it is, is a favor. And we say this every single year, when we, uh, when we have three services at Easter, usually the middle service is the highest attended service. So, and that's at highest attended by anybody who's going to be visiting the church for the first time or stepping through the doors from an invitation for somebody because of the time for that. So what we're asking of you is if you are a regular uh, attender, you serve here, you, you consider this your church home, is that maybe you would come and attend at 8.15 and then serve at 9.45 or serve at 9.45 and stick around for the 11.15 service. They're all going to be the same services. It's going to be a great celebration of the resurrection of Jesus together. Ultimately, if 9.45 is the only time you can get here, you've got family coming or whatever that is, we want you to be here at the time that works for you. But if possible, it would just help us create some space in our, in our facility uh, for all of those that we know are going to walk through the doors, uh, usually, typically, during that middle service, that 945 service. So keep that in mind, and if you can help us out with that, that's awesome. want to uh, give you some important news, uh, something exciting for our church. Um, we have, for a while now, meticulously been praying and, and filtering through um, resumes and different things like that as elders, and we have recently... Uh, hired our new student pastor for the church, and so that's an exciting thing. Um, his name, his name is, uh, his name is Zach, and he will be here. We're trying to get all the details worked out, but he should be here in the next few weeks, and so uh, here in just a few Sundays, we should have him here in the flesh. And uh, I'm excited about. I believe the best is yet to come, and I love how God is just piecing things together and uh, working things out in our church. So that everybody can be ministered to. And so I'm excited about uh, for our 6th to 12th grade students. Just having uh, him to, to pastor and lead and uh, just organize that. It's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a huge blessing to our church. So we're excited about that. want to let you know about that. And then the last thing I want to do is pray for another church in our community. Something we do every single week. Because we like to remind ourselves that it's not all about us. That this is what... Uh, this is what God called us to start, but there are other great churches in our community that are reaching people uh, for Jesus Christ, and, uh, and we love to build the kingdom alongside so many amazing churches. So today we're going to pray for Canaan Land Church of God. So Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity we have to be in this room right now and for our kids to be in kids ministry and just learn about you, grow in your word together, worship together. We thank you for Canaan Land Church of God and pray that you would bless their leadership, their pastor their congregation, Lord, everything that they do to build your kingdom, I pray that your favor and your blessing would be on it, and we thank you that we have the opportunity to build your kingdom alongside them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, we have been in this series where we are going through the book of Colossians together, and uh, if you've been a part of our church, you know that uh, from time to time, usually two or three times a year, we'll set aside a certain number of weeks to just go through an entire book of the Bible together. And see what God's word says as if we were reading it and we'll kind of pick it apart and talk about it and how it applies to us. And that's what we're doing in this season right now. And so today is part three of this series going through Colossians. And I just want to encourage you again to continue, if you've been doing it, continue to read one chapter a day or however much you've been reading every day through Colossians. And if you haven't done it, it's not too late. Just jump in now, and over the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to read through that a couple of different times. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the word of God. 
I believe that he wants to do that and that he can do that. And it's important for you to be here corporately, but it's also important for you to have your own personal time with the Lord where you're in the word of the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you in that way. So just, I just want to kind of remind us of some things that we've talked about through chapters 1 and chapter 2, and then we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit today for chapter 3. But in, in chapters 1 and 2, we've said things like, uh, it's important for us to pray for one another as followers of Jesus. If you remember this, Paul, in a lot of his uh, letters at the beginning of it, or at some point in it, Jesus even did this, but he said, this is what I'm praying for you. I pray for you constantly. This is what I pray for you. This is what I'm praying that God will do in your life, that God will do in your, you know, in your church. This is what I'm praying for you. And we need to be people who pray for one another. Uh, we've said things like the good news of Jesus bears fruit by changing people's lives. If you remember this, we talked about how uh, the, the, the gospel, the true gospel can't help but change your life. When you receive the truth of what Jesus has done for you, it, it just changes you. It begins to transform you. Um, everything was created through Jesus. Everything was, uh, is held together by him. He is supreme. We've talked about how Jesus is God. He said, you know, if you, why are you asking me to show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at, my, look at, look at how I'm compassionate. Look at what I, how I heal. Look at all of these different things. This is who the Father is. So we've said we must continue to believe the truth about the gospel and not be led astray by other things, right? We don't need our truth. We need the truth. We need to be rooted in Jesus and build our lives on him. We talked a little bit about water baptism, how it doesn't save us, but it is a way that we identify with Jesus after we are saved. So once we're saved, we get in the water to say, this is my, the old is gone, the new has come, and there's something significant that happens in that moment when you're submerged in the water and you're raised to new life in Christ. And then we said this last week at the very, very end, that we don't need the power to change what we eat. We need the power to change what we crave. That there's, there's, there's a different perspective, a different mentality, if you will, from trying to just do this better, do this better, do this better, when what we really need is the power of God working inside of us to change the things that we actually desire. And say, God, I want your power inside of me to change what I desire. I don't even want to desire that anymore. I want to desire the things of you. And the more, that you, the more of God, the more of the things of God that you continue to put on your plate. Come on, if you were here last weekend. The more that you continue to put on your plate of reading the word and being in prayer and spending time with God and being at church and serving with other people and being in a grow group. And you continue to put those things, you develop an appetite for those things. And you begin to feel like, I can't live without this, these things. I can't live without these people in my life. I need to be at group. I need to be serving. I don't have to. I get to because you've developed an appetite for it. And that's what God wants for our lives. And so what we're going to see today in chapter 3 are several ways that we honor God by what we do. Now, it's always important <clears throat> to be reminded, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week, that we are not saved by the things that we do, but after we are saved, there are things for us to do. That we, we, don't get, we don't do the things so that we can earn God's approval and so that we can be made right with God. We don't do that. What we do is, is we surrender our life to Jesus. He's the only one who, by grace through faith, he's the only one who can save us. We put our trust in him. But Ephesians would tell us that there are things that God created for us to do before we were ever even born. And once we step into relationship, now we have the opportunity to do those things and fulfill those things. And that's where fulfillment comes in our lives. So we're going to see several ways that we can honor God by the way that we behave or the things that we do, the things that we say. We're going to be talking about things we focus on and what we should think about and things we should put to death. I know you're excited about that one. And how we should treat one another as, as Christians, as wives, husbands, children, father, employees. And if you need a title for the message, I've titled uh, part three of this uh, series this, True Christian Behavior. What does it look like to behave like a Christian? What does it look like to to actually follow Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, your life looks this way and your, your vocabulary looks this way and the way that you act is this certain way. And if I was going to sum up the entire message in one sentence, I would sum it up in this as we get started, that we change our behavior by letting Christ live within us so that he can shape us into what he wants us to be. This is what it's all about. This, we surrender our will to God's will, and we say, God, I want you to live through me. It's where Paul said, I have died, I have crucified myself, my flesh, and now I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me that's helping me live this, this out in this body. And so I want his will to be done in my life. I want him to make me more 
like Jesus. Make me more like him. And so we're going to jump into chapter 3, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, in other words, since you're a believer, since you're a follower of Jesus, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So a few things I want to point out in these first four verses. Uh, We see that Paul, at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul's focus shifts to some important things that we need to do as followers of Jesus. And the first thing that we see, or the first thing that I want to pull out, is this idea of setting our sights on the realities of heaven. Setting your sights on the realities of heaven. The ESV would say it this way, seek the things that are above. Seek the things, seek after. You remember Jesus was talking about seek first the kingdom of God. There's this importance about the things that we're seeking. Like we're intentionally looking for. We're intentionally setting our eyes and our sight and our perspective. Like I'm seeking the things that are above. I'm setting my sights on the realities of heaven. Why is it important to be reminded of the things that we set our sights on? The things that we're seeking after. It's because as humans, we have a natural tendency to begin to seek after earthly material things. And Paul's saying, listen, now that you've been raised to new life in Christ, now that you're a believer in Jesus, now that you're a follower of Jesus, there are some new, you need to set your eyes higher. You need to set your sights higher. You need to be seeking after not the, not the things, not that these things are bad, but we have a tendency to put all of our focus and all of our energy into making more and doing more and having more and accumulating more. And how can I get my life to look a certain way? And Paul says, set your sights on the things that are above. Seek the things that are above, above all else. And when we seek the things that are above, we are more likely to get our direction in life from God instead of the culture around us. When we're seeking worldly things, we have a tendency to lean into culture to tell us what's right and what's okay and what we need to be doing and get direction for our life from the culture around us. And Paul says, no, set your eyes, set your sights, seek after the things that are above. And when you do that, then as Jesus would say, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added, everything that you need is going to be given to you as, as you're seeking the kingdom first. But seeking the things above, I have a tendency to get my direction from where I'm seeking. So direction for my life is now coming from the things above. It's coming from heavenly things, not from worldly things around me. And then I think verse 2 really kind of reinforces this idea that not only are we going to seek the things above, but we're also going to do this. We're going to think about things above. So we're seeking things above, and we're going to think about things above. Now, I don't have to tell you this because you know it, but your thoughts really do matter. Have you ever noticed this about yourself? The things that you think about have a, have a way of affecting your mood. Anybody ever notice that? You think about something a certain way, and all, I mean, you can go from, you wake up in the morning, and it's like, you know, rainbows, and the sun is shining, and it's 80 degrees today, and woo, I'm excited about the day, and you start, think, you remember one thing, you start thinking about one thing, you start thinking about that one thing that somebody did, or that one thing that somebody said, and it's like all of a sudden, oh my goodness, it changes everything about me, because your thoughts matter. Now, I want to read you, I want to read you this verse, this is Proverbs 4.23, you're going to be familiar with this. And then I'll quote you another translation of it. This says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. One translation, I believe it's the New Century Version, says to pay attention to what you think about because your thoughts run your life. So it's this picture of what is, what is your heart? Your heart is not, when, when the Bible talks about your heart, we've said this before, it's not talking about the organ inside of you. It's talking about your innermost being, your mind, your will, your emotions, your mind, your will, and your emotions, the things you think about, your will, what you want to see accomplished, your emotions, all of those things are tied into your heart. And so what you think about the most determines the course of your life. Do you see this? What you think about the most... If we could ever get to the place to where we thought about the things of God more than anything else, it will lead our lives into the things of God. When I begin to, listen, let's think about it this way. When I begin to 
think about how God wants to use me and think about how God wants to use my resources and think about how God did it once before and think about how, man, when I, when I gave to this person, look at what it did in their life. When I begin to think about those things, then it leads my life to want to be more generous. I, I've seen, like I'm thinking about it and so I want to do it. This works with anything in your life, doesn't it? The more you think about it, the more you either worry about it or want to have it. I mean, anybody ever, anybody, anybody ever wanted a certain type of vehicle and you were thinking about it? Oh, I want that vehicle. That's what I want. That's what I want. We're, we're about a year, uh, oh my, we're like just a little over a year away from our oldest beginning to drive. And she's thinking about a vehicle. And you set, your, you, set your, uh, you set your thoughts on what that is. And here's, and here's what happens. You want that. You think about that. You see it everywhere. Yeah, there it is right there. there it is. You go into it thinking, no, I want this because nobody in Paris, Texas has this vehicle. And as soon as you start thinking about it and seeking after it, you see it everywhere. And this is the power of what we seek after and what we think about. What you seek after and what you think about matters. It determines the course of your life. It will lead you where you want to be or where you don't want to be based on what direction your, your thoughts are taking you. So we have to pay attention to what we're thinking about. In another letter, Paul writes uh, about some specific things that we should be intentional to think about. He says this, this is Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Somebody say, fix your thoughts. Come on, say it like you're awake today. Say, fix your thoughts. On what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I, when I think of fixing my thoughts, I think about locking them in. Have you ever had something to where it's like you were, lo- you were locked in? You were lo- like, I know I've got to be, be locked into this right now, right? I think about on, a, on, a, on your wedding day, right? If, for those of us that are married... There was probably a moment where, I mean, like, I, I think about that moment. I always love the moment when the bride starts to come down the aisle and you look over at the groom. Anybody ever pay attention to this? Like, we're supposed to be looking here, but there's a part of us that's like, I want to see what he's doing, you know, because he's locked in. Like, his thoughts, his attention, everything is locked in, and this is what it looks like. Paul says, you've got to lock your thoughts in on these type of things. Why? Because it's going to be easy for your thoughts to start to wonder around your thoughts are going to start to you know well i'm now i'm thinking about this and now i'm thinking about this and now well maybe okay you've got to fix your thoughts fix your thoughts on these things what's right and what's pure and what's lovely and your thoughts start to wonder you bring them back Mm, no my thoughts are fixed on this i'm not gonna think about that i'm gonna think about this i'm seeking and i'm thinking about the things that are above not earthly things we need to seek and think about the things that are above because that's where our real life is The, the bible says is hidden in Jesus. The reason our attention needs to be there and our thoughts need to be there and our seeking needs to be there is because that's where our life is now hidden. It's hidden in Christ because we're a believer. We're a follower of Jesus. And then Paul goes on the next few verses and he says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Come on, is anybody, it's a good day whenever you come to church and we're talking about things you need to put to death. Come on, is anybody just excited today? And look at what he says. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. When do we do these things? When our life is a part of the world, not hidden in Christ. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. So here at the beginning of, of verse 5, I just want to point this one word out to you. I love the New Living Translation because it uses this word. It says that these things are lurking within you. Which, if you're like me and you like words, then I was like, well, what does lurking really mean? And here's what lurking means. Remaining hidden so as to wait in ambush. Woo. 
There are some things inside of you, your sinful nature hidden away, lurking inside of you that is waiting to pounce and ambush you. I was thinking about, anybody have cats? We have a cat and he's outside. When we got our cat, I sat our cat down and I said, listen, here's your job. I said, you have one job. One job, keep the snakes away from this house, right? I know I'm being funny. I really didn't say it. Some of y'all are worried right now. He's like, he's really talking to this cat. I, we were pulling into the, I think we were pulling into the driveway the other day, it, something like that. And, and I remember seeing our cat and he was out in the yard and he was doing that thing, you know, like when they see something in the distance and they're like, you know, trying to be real sneaky. You know, it's like a rabbit or it's a possum or it's, you know, like they're trying to get to it. And like the cat is as low as he can get. And he's moving real, I mean, like, you couldn't, if, if this was, like, on the hardest surface ever, you wouldn't be able to hear this cat moving, because he is so, like, stealthy. He's lurking and trying to stay hidden until he gets to the right moment when he can pounce on what he wants. And there are sinful desires inside of us that if we don't, if we don't put these things to death, there, if you don't deal with them, this is, this, is why, this is why we just started a brand new thing called Freedom Groups. And why I believe why they filled up like that. It's because we have some things lurking inside of us that we may not even know are there because they're hidden. And some of those things need to be uncovered and, and we need to allow the Lord to be like, to, oh, I didn't know that that was in me. I'm glad that I can get that out of me right now so that it's not lurking around waiting to ambush me at some other point in my life. This is, this is why we have to put these things to death. Paul, Paul says you've got to put these sinful desires to death, these earthly things that are lurking in you. And so here's the picture. There are sinful earthly things that try to hide in us and will ambush us when we least expect it. And here are the things that he lists. He lists sexual immorality, impurity, lust, greed. We talked a little bit about that a few weeks ago. Idolatry. And then the list gets even more specific toward the end. He says we need to put away these things. We need to get rid of these things. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. To which we would all say, how... Do I get rid of and put to death all of these things? Because when my spouse says that, that little thing inside of me just rises up. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do I, how do I kill that thing? One, one commentary, I love this, this commentary. Uh, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and put on our new nature, we begin the process of being renewed. We desire to follow the example of Jesus, growing to love him and others more and more, but this doesn't happen immediately. It's easy to fall back into sinful habits, so we must be very intentional about ridding ourselves of all evil practices and immorality. So how do we, how do we deal with these things? Well, here's one primary way. This is another thing that Paul wrote. It's in Galatians 5, and you're going to recognize this, but... Um, Right after these verses is where he lists the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we're most familiar with, the fruit of the Spirit. This is what I need to allow the Lord to produce out of my life. And this is what he says in verse 16 and 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The only way to kill these fleshly desires is you have to begin to let the Holy Spirit, you have to give up control of your life and stop trying to guide your own life and let the Holy Spirit guide your life. And Paul says, when you let the Holy Spirit guide your life, then you won't be taking part in these other things because you're being led by the Holy Spirit. Well, how often do I need to do that? Well, you're going to need to do that on Monday morning and probably Monday about 1030. And probably on your lunch break, you're going to need something like, Holy Spirit, I need you to guide my life. 
Before I go to bed, I need you to guide my life. I'm submitting to you. It says that these two, these two things, the sinful and the Holy Spirit, they're at war. It's a, it's a, there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. And you get to decide who wins the battle. On Monday, on Monday who's going to win the battle? Are you going to be led by the Holy Spirit in your life? Or are you going to be led by your fleshly desires in your life? How do we do this? I think part of letting the Holy Spirit guide our lives, there's, there's some things that we can do. Be in the Word. Talk to God. What is prayers? Talking to God. Talk to God. Serve other people. Obey the voice of the Holy Spirit so that you can hear Him more clearly and more clearly and more clearly. Have you ever noticed this? That the more that you listen to somebody's voice, the more that you recognize it. You ever done this with a podcast? You listen to the same podcast enough, and then you, start, you, like, you don't even have to be, you don't have to see a picture. You don't have to know what somebody turned on. You can recognize the voice. The more that we obey the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of us, the more we recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. Like, oh, I've heard, I've, okay, yep, this, this sounds familiar. This sounds familiar. Yep, that's the voice of the Lord inside of me prompting me to do something. And he goes on, verses 9 through 11, look at this. He says, don't lie to each other. He ain't writing to believers. He writing to Christians, followers of Jesus. And he says, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So what do we do? Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. This is why we, we talk about being at church regularly, being in a grow group. Like learning to become more like him, learning to know him and become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. I want to go back to this very first line, don't lie to each other there at the beginning of verse 9. Um, I was thinking as I was reading this again this last week, I was thinking about what we tell our kids. We tell our kids, just don't lie. Don't lie about it. Because it breaks, the, it breaks the relationship, it breaks trust in the relationship. And you know this to be true, right? You've, if you've ever lied to somebody that you really cared about, there was something that was severed there that has to be restored and has to be put back together and has to be earned again, if we could say it that way. There, there's one, one statement that's always stuck with me was that trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets, You've been earning trust for 10 years, 15 years, trust in this person's life, and then in one moment, the whole bucket gets poured out. And you can earn trust again, you can build trust again in that relationship or in that situation or with that person or whatever, but it's going to be earned again in drops. And it's going to take time. And lying is one thing that we always tell our kids, we're like, listen, we can handle anything that you did, any decision that you made, any wrong thing that you, just, just be honest. Just be honest. When you're honest, okay, let's, let's talk about it. Let's do better next time. Let's extend grace because that's what God does for us. Thank the Lord. And let's, like, there might be some coaching, you know, whatever, but, but just don't lie. Just don't lie. And he's telling these believers, he says, don't, like, don't lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. Um, a person cannot be restored if lies are present. You can't have full restoration if lies are present. Not lying was one of the Ten Commandments. Come on, we know this. We know this. Not li- thou shalt not lie. Come on, we're talking King James now. Thou shalt not and another thing, too, I think it's important to, to point out, and we're going to read this in, in Proverbs chapter 6, is that God actually detests lying. Look at what this says. There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests, to which in my mind I'm thinking, I might need to lean in for a moment. If this is a wisdom book, and this is like the person is writing this from a place of wisdom, this is what he says. Here are the things, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. In other words, you know what, you know what I feel like the Lord is saying? This is not my best for your life. And this is not my best for my church. 
And this is not what I intend for believers, followers of Jesus, who are the church, the body of Christ. I do not intend for them to operate in this way. And it leads me to believe that maybe there was some things going on like at this church and this group of believers that Paul was addressing that he had heard about or something. I don't know. We don't have that information. But all we know is that he he says, don't lie to one another. Be honest. Don't lie to one another. And then he goes on and, uh, and he says this, and we're talking about putting on the new nature. So lying is a part of the sinful nature, but we're putting on the new nature. In the, first, the next few verses, he says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. I love that picture. Clothing yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. That's a big one. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. As, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. So when you become a child of God, you receive a new nature. We've talked about this. Your spirit comes alive. You still live in this body. You still have a soul, right? The heart, the mind, will, and emotions. There's still some sinful, like, I've crucified my sinful desires. That's, that's what I have to do daily. I've got to get rid of these things in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And look at what he says. He says, when you become a child of God, you put on a new nature. You clothe yourself with these things. Now, I want to just go through these things and, and give you just a little brief definition or example as I was studying these words specifically. But there's not anybody at church today, there's not anybody in this room today that after reading this list would say, I don't want anybody to treat me that way. Nobody will say that. In fact, we would all read this list and we would say, I wish everybody treated me like that. What does the new nature look like? He says, put this on, put on mercy. What is mercy? Compassion for people. Compassion for people. What would it look like in your life if you began to see people through the lens of compassion? Compassion. I have, the Bible says multiple times that Jesus had compassion, he felt compassion for them. In one instance, it was like they were like sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion. He's like, I got to do something about this. I feel for them. Here's the next thing. It's kindness. You know what? what, As I was studying the word that we translate as kindness in this translation, you know what one meaning could be? Meeting people's needs. What 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 does it mean to be kind? Meet people's needs? Just meet each other's needs? If you look back at the very first church, Acts, I think it's chapter 2, right there toward the end, 42 through 47, somewhere in there, where it's talking about the things that they were devoted to and that they would sell their position. Like, I've got this and you need that. I'm going I'm to sell this so that I can give you this so that you can, that's kindness. I'm going to meet, I, I see somebody and the Holy Spirit prompts me and I'm like, ooh, yep, I need to do something about that. I, there's something inside of me that God's stirring and I need to do something about that. And when I meet that need, that's kindness. The next one is humility, thinking of yourself less and others more. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. So you don't need to beat yourself up and lay yourself flat on the floor and be like, oh, you know, woe is me, victim mentality. That's not humility. That's actually false humility. Humility is I just think about myself less than I think about other people. And I'm going to do for I'm going to do for others. He says gentleness is something we need to put on. It's meekness. You know what you know what meekness is. What gentleness is? It's gentle strength. Gentle strength. Can anybody reconcile that in your mind? That I actually have strength, but it's gentle strength. I don't have to be abrasive. I don't have to be rude. I don't have to be. I don't have to aggravate. I don't have to manipulate. Like, no, this, I, there's gentle strength inside of me, meekness inside of me. Patience is another thing. He says, put on patience. Long-suffering, the fruit of the Spirit. 
Some translations even translate it as long-suffering, which we don't like, do we? We like patience. We would actually probably rather say patience than long-suffering. It's like, here's what the Holy Spirit's producing in you. One of the things is long-suffering. Peter said, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? That's pretty generous. Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. In other words, just live forgiving. Just forgive every time. Just keep forgiving. You just got to keep extending forgiveness, which is the next one, forgiveness. Extending favor and grace and pardoning people. He says, put on love. The actual Greek word for this is, is talking about unconditional love. And he even says that this is the one that binds us together as followers of Jesus. Jesus even said, the world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Which to me says, if we could ever get this right, it could change the world. The world will know that you're a follower of Jesus by the way that you love each other the way that you love people he says peace is another big one peace of mind rest and i like this definition wholeness wholeness he said i'm 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 resting in this wholeness i have peace of mind peace should rule in our hearts and if you if you look at the wording of that he says and let the peace that comes from christ rule in your let it let it let it rule in your heart. What does it mean for it to rule? One picture would be that it is that peace would be the referee or the umpire in your heart. That as you're battling and as you're at war about things that are going on or as you're worried about something or whatever, that you know what, you know what gets to call, what has the final say? You know what, who the referee is? You know what the umpire is? It's peace. It's peace. It's peace of mind. It's, it's that I am, um, I am allowing God's peace. Jesus said, it's my peace that I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives, but I give you my peace. It's the same peace that, that Paul also wrote about, and he said, listen, you can have peace that surpasses all understanding. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. Take it to God, and the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart, and it will guard your mind. Peace, we need to let peace rule in our hearts. And then here's the last one that we'll talk about is thankfulness. Thankfulness. Thankful for God's grace is actually a definition for thankfulness. Biblical definition, thankful for God's grace. When was the, just, just think about this. When was the last time you got up in the morning, you were driving to work, you were picking up your kids, you were going to meet your spouse or whatever, and as you're driving down the road or as you're walking or as you're sitting on your couch or whatever, that you just thought, oh, I just have so much to be thankful for. I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I'm just sitting here thinking, and, I, and I'm like, I, I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't even have the opportunity to do this. I shouldn't even be married to this person. I shouldn't even have this in my life. I should, I'm just so thankful for the grace of God. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to do enough right thing. Like, I just, ha I just get to receive the grace of God. It's thankfulness. And all of these things are a picture of what it looks like for all of us to live as a true Christian. This... All of these things are us becoming more like Jesus, aren't they? Because this is who Jesus is. Compassionate, loving, forgiving. Gives us his peace. Humble. I mean, came from heaven to earth to take our place and live a sinless life to die for us. This is who Jesus is. Kind. This is the nature of him, and so we need to put on this new nature as followers of Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, and let the message about Christ, let what you've heard about Jesus, the gospel, in all its richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God our Father. When I think about this, he's saying, let the message about Christ, let the things that Jesus has even said and the gospel and all its richness, let it fill your lives. Use it to teach and use it to counsel, use it to help each other, the wisdom that he gives. And in this time period, they didn't have the New Testament. There wasn't a book that they could go pull off the bookshelf and open it up and say, here's the New Testament. 
I mean, how blessed are we that we actually have, not only do we have Bibles, many of us have Bibles in different translations to try to better understand what God's Word says. And they didn't even have that. And he says, even that, even though they're at a place where they're memorizing stories and memorizing the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to one another so that they can be shared and it can be spread around and more people can know, it says, even in that Use that wisdom. Use that to teach and counsel and help other people. If if somebody, and you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. If somebody comes up to you and they're like, I I really need to know what to do this. Well, I know what the Bible says. I know what the Word of God says. What do I need to do in this? I know what God's God's Word says. I've I've got it hidden in my heart. And I'm going to use it to teach. I'm going to use it to counsel. I'm going to, when we get together, this is what we're doing in grow groups. Like we're getting together. We're talking about the word of God. It says use it to teach and counsel each other with the wisdom that comes from God. And then he, he mentions this. He says sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And I just thought about this. And I just want to mention this. And then we're going to go on to the next few verses. Because I know we're running short on time. But. What would happen? What would happen if we came to church ready? What would happen if we came to church already thankful? So sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. What would what would happen? Because here's here's the reality. Sometimes we come sometimes we come in and just go through the motions, don't we? This is what we do at church. It's okay. This is just well, I know what to expect today. We're going to come, we're going to sing three songs, and then we're going to have a video announcement, and we're going to hear preaching, and then we're going to Casa Del Mar for lunch. Bless God. And we just kind of go through the motions. Sometimes we come in, and anybody ever, anybody ever came into church? Listen, anybody ever came into church, and you just didn't feel like singing? After everything that went on this week, I just didn't, I just, I just don't, I, like, it's like sometimes we come in, and we're like, you're just, you just better be glad that I'm sitting right now in this seat. Because it was all I could do to get here and plant myself in this seat. And we were 10 minutes late. And our kids were late getting into class. And everything's been chaotic. And I'm here. But, here. but listen to me. What would happen if we already had prepared thankful hearts before we came into worship each week? What does that look like? What if on the way to church, and you can do this. What if on the way to church, you were, you were preparing your heart? I'm not going to wait till the third worship song before I start to feel thankful. I'm not going to wait until we get halfway through the worship set or the worship set's over and I'm like, man, that was, that was good. I do have a lot to be thankful for. I'm going to actually prepare my heart ahead of time and I'm going to come in ready. I'm going to sing these songs ready. I've already been preparing my heart. We've been talking on the, on the drive to church today. We all went around and we were like, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? It'll take discipline to do it. What are you thankful for? We do this, come on, anybody do this at Thanksgiving? Sit around the table and it's like, hey, everybody's going to go around. You all sit at that table, you know, everybody's got to go around. We're going to say something we're thankful for. And by the time we get done, the food's cold. You know what I'm saying? But we're all going to, because that's the point of this holiday is we're going to be thankful. Listen, on the way to, what, what if next Sunday on the way to church, you were like, hey, let's just take a moment. It's a seven minute drive there or whatever it is for you. And let's just all, let's just, let's just share something we're thankful for. And we're going to turn on a worship song while we're driving to church. And we're just going to worship, you know, for five minutes or whatever. And we're just, pre- what are we doing? We're just preparing our hearts before we get here. We're just preparing our hearts before we get here. So we do it with thankful hearts. We've got to prepare our hearts. And then verse 17 is a reminder that everything that we do as a Christian is representing Jesus to other people. He says, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. So let me just ask you this question, and then we'll go to the next few verses. Are you representing Jesus well? In the things that you do and say, are you representing Jesus well? If people looked at your life, and they looked at the way that you spoke, and they looked at the way that you worked, and they looked at the things that you did, would they look at you and be like, whoo, that guy looks like Jesus? When I read my Bible, I'm like, hmm, yeah, that looks like him. Yeah, I can really tell that he's striving, she's striving. Like, they really, they really are living for the Lord. We're doing everything as a representative of Jesus. And then verse, verses 18 through 21 
kind of transition to talk about households, wives, husbands, children, fathers. And this is what it says. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Come on, isn't that exciting? Some of y'all have been reading Colossians 3 and you were like, I really don't want to talk about these verses and applying these verses. Then he says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents said, amen. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, I want to I go back and read. Paul explained even more. I want to talk about husbands and wives for just a moment. And Paul explains even more about this in Ephesians 5. And you're going to be familiar with this, but I want to read it. And we'll read a few verses, and then we'll jump down to the very last verse in that, uh, in that passage, because I love the way that it kind of sums it all up. So this is what he says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is not a, I'm better than you thing. This is a, no, we submit to one another. And then he gives instructions on how to do it. And he says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way... Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. And then skipping down to verse 33, it says this, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And I've told you this before, there's a book, there's curriculum out there. I think we even have a grow group right now that's all on, I believe, it's all on love and respect. And it's all based on this verse. It's all based on Ephesians 5 and the way that God designed marriage. Now, I want to just share some little points here and then we'll move on. I just recently, and I know it was the Lord's timing, because as I'm reading through Colossians 3 and I'm being reminded of Ephesians 5, I was listening to a podcast, and it was a guy who's very, pretty well known, and he, he preaches a lot on marriage. And he said some things that I've never heard him say in this way that resonated with me, and I thought, that makes sense. That makes every bit of that clear. And here's, here's one of the things he said. He says, marriage is a way that we crucify our sin nature. So you thought you were getting married to change your spouse. And God put you together so that he could change you. And he was going to use your spouse to change you, to help form you, and he was going to use you to help form your spouse. And if you read, listen, if you read Ephesians 5, Okay, if you read Ephesians 5, and, and we've all, I bet, I bet everybody in this room has done this. If you read Ephesians 5 and something rises up in you. Anybody ever done this? You heard Ephesians 5 or you read Ephesians 5 and you were like, you know, like you're not even breathing for three minutes because of what the Bible just said. Can I, can I tell you what that is? That's your sin nature. You know what rises up in you? It's your sin nature. And let me explain it to you. This is, and this is the way that he broke this down. And I thought, I'm taking that and I'm using that to help people, myself included. This is what he said. He said, then you've got to understand what your sin nature is. So he said, here is the sin nature of a woman. Now, let's all listen to this and not be offended. Let's resist offense. Here's the sin nature, biblically, the sin nature of a woman. Relational independence. Relational independence. Relational independence. I don't need, I don't need you. I can do it myself. You, come on, somebody. You didn't get it done, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't even need you anyway. I'm doing it. This, the sin nature of a man is relational passivity. And you actually see both of these things in the garden at the moment of temptation. That Eve listens to the serpent, the devil, and does not submit anything to her husband. 
Adam is standing right there and watches her listen and eat and does nothing about it. And he said, you know what the sin is? It's independence and passivity. And then this is, this is what he said. Listen, this is so, so good. And then I want to move on so you'll like me again. This is so good. <laughs> when women respect Ephesians 5, it crucifies relational independence. And when men respect Ephesians 5, it crucifies relational passivity. You cannot apply Ephesians 5 and be independent and passive. You can't do it. And isn't this so, isn't this, like, most of the time we would not read this as good because there's that, you know, there's that thing that rises up and like, read Ephesians 5, we're like, oh, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm, this is 2024. Mm-mm. But this is the way that God designed it. And he designed it that way because he knew what our natural tendencies would be. And he knew what communicated love to a man and what communicated love to a woman. And he says, you can actually have a 100% chance of success in marriage when you do it God's way. And everybody wins. Everybody wins. How does everybody win? Because at the very beginning, what did he say? Submit to one another. Not lord it over, not point it out, not, no, submit to one another. And if you do this right here, then it will crucify your sin nature. And you can succeed at marriage because you are no longer living according to your sin nature. And you're no longer living selfishly. It's the way that God designed it. All right, let's move on. Everybody said amen. Paul also mentions the importance of children obeying their parents and fathers not aggravating their children. So children should obey their parents because their parents have been placed by God in authority over them. And this is, so, so listen, same thing applies here. If you read that and something rises up in you, let me just talk to all the teenagers for a minute because <laughs> I used to be one. If you read that and something rises up in you, you know what that is? That's your sin nature. That's your sin nature. So it, ri- it, it rises up like, because your sin nature does not like that. And then he goes on, he says, and fathers have to pay attention to how they're treating their children. The Greek word translated here as aggravate can better be translated as provoke or stir up anger. How do we provoke? How do we stir up anger? I think that the role of a father in a child's life is instrumental. I really believe that with all my heart. I think that just some, pra- just some practical ways, I think that we can do this by not being present as a father. I think that we can do this by constantly talking down to our kids. I think that we can do this by making our kids feel like they can't ever do anything right. And I think that we can do this by trying to live out our dreams through our kids. And this is what we have to guard against. I'm not going to live out what I wish would have happened in my life through you. Like, as a parent, I think our responsibility is to help our kids fall in love with Jesus. My goodness, if we don't do anything else right. If our, like, if our, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking this right now. I'm like, if my kids leave the home and they love Jesus, <laughs> mission accomplished. That's good enough for me. And I think another part of that is that we help them discover what they were created to do. God has given them gifts and given them talents. And as the parent, I believe that the Holy Spirit will give us insight to begin to see things in our kids. And it's like, I'm going to call that out in you. Yep, you are a leader. Yep, you do have that talent. Yep, uh uh-huh, I can see it all over you. And you start calling that out of your kids. Come on, worship team, you can help me. And then Colossians 3 ends this way. Went with these last few verses. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when, you're wa- when they are watching. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites.
So this, it talks about, some translations, you can actually get translations that talk about employees and employers because this, um, the context is a little bit different, but it has the same application. And I, I really believe this, and you, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I really believe that Christians should be the best employees on the planet. Like your boss, who may not even be a believer, if you were to ever quit, I mean, it should be to the point to where like your boss would be like, I don't even believe everything they believe, but I want them back. Because they were honest, and they were always there, and they did everything. Like even, I even heard from people when I wasn't even around, they were working just as hard as when I am around. They were honoring this business. They were honoring me, and they were honoring God in the way that they worked. And how do we do that? I think it's by applying this right here. I think it's remembering. Listen, you've got to remember. All right, I'm not going to have you raise your hands for everybody who's ever had a boss that they didn't like. Because that could get awkward, especially if they're sitting in the room. But here's the thing. The way that this is possible is when we remember that ultimately we're working for the Lord. And because I'm working for the Lord and I'm doing everything that I do, everything that I say, I'm doing it as unto the Lord and not as if it's for people then I can continue, because the Lord's always good, and He's always fair, and He's always just. And so even if this situation is not, I'm going to keep working as if I'm working for Him rather than the person that is here in the physical. Does that make sense? This is how we can do this, even when you don't like the person. Even when they are trying to make your life difficult. I remember. And I'm, I'm just telling you, Lord will help you tomorrow. Lord will help you tomorrow. When you honor God in this way, you say, you know what, I'm gonna do my ooh, I'm gonna do my best because I'm not I'm not even gonna treat this, I'm treating this as if I'm working for God. And because I'm treating it that way, God's gonna honor that. God's gonna honor that. And He can help you. He can help you. He can help you. I wonder what it would look like if every member Every person that calls Impact Church home applied these verses at our jobs this week. Who could... You do realize that God can use anything to reach somebody. And I even believe in this situation. Somebody could see you, man, like, when the boss is here, they're working hard. When the boss is gone, they're working hard. I watched them stay late because nobody else picked up trash and they walked around and picked up all the trash because they're working as if they're working unto the Lord. And if I was working for the Lord, we wouldn't be having no trash around here. I'm not leaving that in the floor because I'm I'm working for the Lord. I'm honoring God. And I'm just telling you, I think that even what Jesus said, where Jesus said, let your good deeds shine out before all men so they may see your good deeds. Let your light shine in such a way that they can see the things that you're doing and they will in turn worship and give praise to your Heavenly Father. Did you know that God can even do that through the way that you work at your job? What would, let me just ask you this. Would it be worth it if three years from now you heard of somebody who used to work with you that watched the way that you worked And now they've come to faith in Christ because God was working on their heart as they were watching you. Would it be worth it? I had, I I told this earlier, I didn't even plan to tell this, and I don't tell this to brag, so please know my heart in this. But before we started the church, this has been, oh man, this was probably 2009, 10, somewhere in there. Um, I was working with a guy, working with a lot of people, but this one guy in particular, and we, you know, kind of, we both like sports, and so we would, you know, discuss it and talk about it or whatever. And then it was probably, I don't know, five or six years later, I, I hadn't seen him in that long. He had moved off, we had moved off, we had taken a ministry position at a church. I mean, like, hadn't seen each other at all. He, on social media, found me and messaged me, and he just said, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the way that you lived your life while we worked together 
and you never just tried to cram Jesus down my throat. You just, you just lived it. You just lived it. Now listen, I don't always do that, all right? So don't be like, oh, we got to live like pastor. I mess up just like you do. But here's the reason why he told me that. And this is what got me. And when I shared this with my wife, I just started crying. He said, I wanted to let you know, thank you. I want to tell you thank you. And here's the reason why. Because I just gave my life to Jesus. And you were the first person that came to my mind. And I wanted to tell you. Now, can I just tell you in that moment, it may not feel like it six years ago, but when that moment comes back around, you start thinking every, every bit of it was worth it. Every bit of it. Because look at what God did in somebody else's life that you didn't even know what's going on. There are people, I'm just telling you, there are people that God's working on and where you work right now, and you have no idea what hangs in the balance of you working as if you're working for the Lord and not for people. It's a powerful thing. Will you stand today? I know we're way past time and you're hungry. You're thinking about Mexican food. I want, to, I want our prayer team to come down because don't, I don't want to ever end a service without an opportunity for, for uh, people to receive prayer if they need prayer. So if you're on our prayer team for this service, if you'll slip out of your seats as I pray and just get ready. Um, but I just want to, I want to challenge you. I just want to challenge you to ask the, ask the Lord, what are, you, what are you speaking to me today? What are you saying to me right now? What is it that you want me to do with this? this week so Lord today we thank you thank you for your word and we thank you once again for the opportunity to even gather in this room but we do not take it for granted and right now in this moment as we sing this song and we lift our hands and we lift our voices I pray that if there's anybody here who needs prayer when the worship team begins to sing this song if you need prayer you can just slip out of your seat and come down and receive prayer for anything going on in your life. So Holy Spirit, right now, I ask you to draw every person today who needs prayer for anything in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.